0: Welcome to Truth About Trucking, live,
1: hosted by Alan Smith, a 30-year OTR veteran, business entrepreneur, and motor carrier transportation consultant, specializing in assisting students and new drivers, and pushing forward to raise
2: the standards of the trucking industry. And now, live from beautiful Citrus
0: County, Florida, here's your host, Alan Smith.
2: Hello, everyone. Glad you have joined us this evening for Truth About Trucking Live right here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Alan Smith. Today is Thursday, February 10th, 2011. And joined once again by my co host, Donna Smith. And we have, I believe, a great show planned for you this evening. And like always, we invite you to join in on the conversation. Our number 347 826 9170. And our show this evening, NAFTA Mexico, Facts or Fear. And I might be playing the part of um, uh, Devil the Advocate here tonight. But we're going to work this thing out. And Donna, I see you there. Um, you're going to help me through this.
3: I hope so. There's so much to go through, but uh, we'll try to fit it all in.
2: Well, we're going to try anyway. It's going to be a good show where uh, are <clears throat> just a lot of talk out there about it. And uh, I've got some stats here I want to go over and get some uh, everybody's opinion on it. And, but uh, before we get started, Donna, catch us up. What, what's new around here?
3: Okay, um, a little different tonight. We'll get some of the announcements uh, first before the show. Um, I want to just tell everybody about um, the Truck Drivers Social Media Convention. We did put a blog post out on it. Last week, um, we will be putting a, a press release out on it uh, later on, because we're Alan keeps uh, bettering the website, tweaking, and uh, we keep adding more things as people call in and uh, and want more to it. So anyway, on October fifteenth, two thousand eleven, in Tunica, Mississippi, at the Gold Strike Casino, we have planned the first annual truck driver social media convention. Uh, there's never been anything like this before. It's not a truck show or an expo, a totally different um, environment. It's a a regular ballroom opened up to the first 500 people who can uh, reserve the reservation. And what it basically is, it's, a, it's a, an event for drivers uh, who've become active online. They've made various relationships uh, with people. They've discussed and debated issues. Uh, some, sometimes they call each other now. They've become friends. And uh, this will be uh, uh, an evening and a whole day. Actually, it's about a 16-hour day uh, for them, pretty much, for um, discussion, uh, expert panel, uh, two full buffets, entertainment, live band. And it's just going to be wonderful. Uh, You know, we've tried to think of everything possible. Uh, You'll be able to actively uh, participate in an open discussion uh, with the panel, receiving very valuable information uh in the area of law, employment, regulation, business management, uh engage with like-minded individuals, socialize, network, dine, entertainment and establish important contacts. And this is very important uh because I think people people need to establish these contacts with um their fellow drivers and the industry professionals. That will be there. And some of those uh, expert speakers are going to be Attorney Paul Taylor from the Truckers Justice Center, James McCormick from Trucking Careers of America, and a lot of you people know these names because we refer you to them all the time. Uh, Eddie uh, Gattui from Business uh, business Management, TripSheetCentral.com. Desiree Wood will be discussing the power of social media and how it, to apply it to your causes, your networking, and your business. Uh, Richard Wilson is a safety and regulatory manager and regulatory consultant with Trans Products, and um, he will be there also to discuss all your regulatory needs. So uh, there's people in all areas uh, that, with that open panel discussion. Um, we're also proud to say that we're going to have some special attendees there. Hope Rivenberg, um, who is is the number one advocate for more uh, safe truck parking, and she was actually the main reason for Jason's Law uh, to be presented by Congress uh, by Congressman um, Paul Tonko to the Congress last year. The Saint Christopher's Fund will also be there, and as you all know, they help drivers uh, tremendously. Um, without insurance, and help them to get the medical treatment they need, and it's just a tremendous organization. Uh, Kyla Lieberg from Truckers Against Trafficking is going to be there, and she and her family has created awareness uh, within the trucking industry for the uh, human trafficking epidemic that uh, is going on within our nation. Uh, David Ayers and Barry Allen are going to be there. And uh, those are the writers and composers of When the Big Rigs Don't Roll, uh, Jason's Prayer, and their new song, Not for Sale, uh, which has been dedicated to the human trafficking problem here in the United States. Uh, all all this, along with hours of entertainment, live music from Truckers Tracks, uh, Doug Jones, Johnny Neal, Jan McCarter, And uh, and this is a fun part We're going to have cash prizes uh, For CDL drivers Uh, You'll submit your uh, ticket name And uh, anywhere from $500 to $1,000 A total of $6,200 Will be given away that evening And finally, there'll be a $500 cash award prize And plaque to the nominee Voted as making the biggest difference in trucking And we will get Get more into that later. We're going to have nominations posted on Facebook and on the blog, so you can get involved with that. Um, We really look forward to seeing you. There's only room for 500. It is a first annual. Um, So if you really want to get your ticket, we suggest you go online. It's uh, www.truckingsocialmedia.com. That's www.truckingsocialmedia.com socialmedia.com and uh, of course we have our um, Skype number as you all know it's 352 505 8162 if you want to just call and ask us some questions I want to welcome our latest sponsors uh, this evening we have transproducts.com this is pretty much the best information on safety regulations Um, You know, how they they say, if you don't have time to read the big book, well, you know, you've got a place that will explain it to you. Uh, Their regular features include DOT interpretations, questions, answers, and commentaries from the staff. Uh, Rich Wilson uh, from TransProducts.com will be uh, attending the event on October 15th, the Truck Drivers' Convention. And um, Alan actually will be explaining a little bit more about transproducts.com as the show goes on tonight. Uh, We also want to uh, welcome theloadpost.com. You can reach them at www.bestloadpost.com. This is an incredibly – it's a new – I hate to even call it a load board because it's way more than a load board. It's it's an unbelievable – an unbelievable trip planner load board um, basically you can put in your entire week before you leave your home it has a daisy chain of reloads all possible reloads in the database uh... It has company credit scores you can receive for one dollar not the usual whatever they charge ten fifteen dollars uh... there's a demo on the site you've got to look at this if you're an owner operator I'm sure you've never seen anything like it and it's uh www.bestloadpost.com. And what else do we have here? Um okay, as you all know, we do have the Trucker App for your iPhone. Um just go to truckerapp.com and you can um download it. There's a link on there. Uh it's the first trucking application for your iPhone. And we try to get involved with everybody. You know, send us your pictures, and we'll put your your dashboard photo on the splash page of Trucker App. Um, Big rigs don't roll. Um, they're still giving that portion to the Jason's Law Foundation. So um, you can you can download the the CD. Big rigs don't roll. You can get it actually right from the Ask the Trucker site there's a a a link on top that says big roll big rig c d and you can just go right to ask the trucker and and uh, look at it over there uh we do have the convoy um for the kids that's september fourth uh charles Claiborne is uh is in charge of that he's got a big thing going um for the the kids for their needs up in Albany. The event is posted on the trucker app you can see the details right from the app. Or go to Facebook, Charlie Claiborne. Um, Danielle's helping him out with that uh, over at driversalike.net. Um, and I think that's that's it for now, Alan. I might think of something later. Uh, okay.
2: A lot of things going on. A lot
3: of things going on. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Well, good. Okay. Well, <clears throat> our show this evening, NAFTA Mexico, facts or fear. So what are the facts when it comes to NAFTA and opening the Mexican border to allow their drivers and trucks to operate throughout the throughout the lower 48 states. I mean, will it will it really cost thousands of American drivers to lose their jobs? Uh, remember, everyone was saying that the new CSA was going to cost hundreds of thousands of U.S. drivers their jobs, but here we are a few months into it, and as we know, it did not happen. So are, are we hearing facts concerning the implications of NAFTA in regards to Mexico, or is it all politically motivated? Uh, Mexico's border has never been fully opened up to the U.S., so how do we know it will destroy American truck driver jobs, and and how do we know that the safety of our citizens will be compromised from all of these dangerous Mexican trucks and drivers? So is there any real validity to the safety and loss of job concerns for American truckers and the general motoring public? Well, I'm asking the question, is it simply the fear of the unknown? So the debate against NAFTA Mexico continues all across the country as both smaller carriers and our professional drivers voice their concerns over this, as reported in this no-link news report. The U.S. federal government will once again allow Mexican trucks to cross the border beyond the 20-mile commercial zone. As Fronteras reporter Luxandra Greedy explains, the move is upsetting labor unions in the U.S. The plan still needs congressional approval, but it means that a limited number of Mexican
3: trucks will have no access to the U.S. market. To American truckers and labor unions, it spells further unemployment for the sector as a whole. Lorena Gonzalez is the CEO of the AFL-CIO San Diego chapter. She says that reinstating the old policy will not only have safety and environmental impacts, but also economic ones.
0: We've been able to rebound
4: some of our trucking jobs in the United States because those trucks weren't taking what would normally be U.S. cargo. So this affects not only, obviously, jobs in California, but Arizona and Texas as well.
3: In 2006, at the height of the trucking permit, almost 10 million Mexican trucks crossed through the California and Texas borders, according to the Bureau of Transportation Statistics. In San Diego, I'm Guidi
5: looking to change regulations that have prevented Mexican truck drivers from traveling across the United States.
6: It is a proposal that would affect drivers all along the U.S.-Mexico border. Ryan Bailey spoke to truck drivers here in Laredo about how this would impact their business.
1: The administration is proposing to open up the United States roadways to Mexican semi-trucks. Currently, trucks are not allowed to travel more than 25 miles into the U.S. when they are hauling commercial freight. This has left some of our country's truck drivers a little confused.
5: We're already in a recession. We need
7: the work. Why would you give it to somebody else and we can't even take care of our own self?
1: One of the major concerns U.S. truck drivers have is that Mexican drivers could take away from their work and leave them stranded here in truck stops looking for jobs.
7: I depend on basically on Mexican
4: products going up. So it would really hurt me. Why would you take our jobs away from us when we're providing you a service and giving it to somebody else who doesn't pay our taxes,
5: who doesn't support our government or support this country?
1: Some drivers estimate that as much as 85% of their jobs come from loads making their way north through Mexico. And while some of those jobs will go away, that may not be the biggest issue stemming from this proposal.
7: Here we have a lot of federal regulations that we need to follow. And if they want to be on the road, if we need to follow them, they're going to have to abide by them too.
4: When you have somebody who's coming over that's running on no brake pads or bald tires, that's not safe for them and it's not safe for you.
1: In 2007, President Bush began a pilot program allowing Mexican trucks limited freedom on U.S. highways, but the program ended in March of 2009 after Congress failed to renew it. Mexico claims that this goes against the 1994 North American Free Trade Agreement. Still, truckers see this as a one-sided deal because the likelihood of them traveling into Mexico is slim.
7: Especially right now, how violence is up there, I wouldn't even dare to go cross. With the cartel situation right now, that's probably the biggest thing. You couldn't pay me
1: enough to go over there. Ryan Bailey. Laredo Spurway News. Well, after
6: Congress refused to continue the pilot program, Mexico placed higher taxes on 89 products that were being exported from the U.S. to Mexico and have continued to add products to that list. Because of that, many agricultural and manufacturing officials have welcomed President Obama's proposal.
2: Okay, a few areas I want to focus on this evening and would like to hear what you think about this current issue facing the American driver. One, will NAFTA Mexico bring about thousands of lost jobs for American drivers, and if so, how? And two, how unsafe are Mexican trucks, and how will U.S. highway safety factors be um, compromised by allowing them to operate within the lower 48 states? And and as time allows, we will dive into other concerns about NAFTA Mexico, and I'll share with you what I believe is the only real concern for the U.S. opening up the border to, um, to Mexico. Um, so our number, 347-826-9170, NAFTA Mexico, facts or fear, this evening on Truth About Trucking Live, up next when we come right back. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here with the Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. And be sure to tell them that you heard about them on Truth About Trucking Live. All right, welcome back. NAFTA Mexico Facts or Fear, our focus this evening on Truth About Trucking Live, our call in number 347-826-9170 if you'd like to be on the show. And Donna's hanging out with me. So, Donna, let's start with all we hear about how NAFTA Mexico will cause a loss uh, thousands of american drivers' jobs what what are you hearing about out there
3: well, uh basically, what it amounts to is the the drivers uh feel that the ones that are going down to the border now to meet the uh... mexican trucks uh you know so that they can take the goods back down into mexico why would they the companies who are domiciled in mexico, the American companies why would they keep them on when they can just ha- hire the Mexican driver to go back and forth? Um, that They feel that would pretty much omit their need for them at that point. Um, it, it would just be silly to pay somebody to go to the border just to have somebody else come and bring it when that person can now go both ways. So um, there's that's the first uh, thing they're afraid of. The other thing is... Uh, Mexican uh, truck drivers you know they have no fear coming up here there is nothing to be afraid of so even the American drivers uh, you know that are kept to go down there um, they don't want to go down there I mean you even heard it on that uh, tape you just played so that would cause the fact that a lot of them won't go down there or refuse to go down there Uh, could probably uh, they could Probably be terminated for for not wanting to do that, and therefore their position would be taken uh, by someone who will go down there, which most likely would be a a Mexican
2: driver uh, in Mexico. Big big concern. Uh, well, I think it's funny that clip I just played. I mean, that was a Mexican driver who's a U.S. citizen, obviously, but uh he he was a mexican driver but he's not even going to go down there
3: no no and and he's well he, he may, his heritage might be mexican however um you know he considers himself an american um he's an american driver
2: so well okay let's say let's look at canada i mean canada a part of nafta canadian trucks have been operating in the us since 1982 29 years so uh I mean there's no yelling and screaming about Canadian trucks operating in the US and and um uh, I mean has this caused American drivers to lose jobs why 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 are we okay allowing drivers from Canada to operate in America for 29 years and yet we're so against allowing drivers from Mexico in
3: Well the, the biggest thing first of all is that um the, there really aren't any American companies domiciled that I know of. I mean, there may be in Canada. It's a whole different situation. Um, the 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 Canadians, first of all, their equipment and their regulations are probably maybe
2: even stricter than ours.
0: So
2: no uh, well, they they had, they had, That's one aspect of it. I mean, you know, Canada, Canadian drivers adhere to our safety rules. You know, obviously. Uh Mexico has said that they're they're not going to be able to do that, but I mean yeah i mean that's 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 the part of the safety we'll get into but i mean for twenty nine years they've they've been coming here picking up loads, taking it there um I mean so what's the difference between Mexican drivers? coming in, picking up loads, and taking it there. What's, what's well, the difference?
3: Because the pay scale, um, you know, you're not going to get a Canadian driver to drive for half the pay or a third of the pay as you could a Mexican driver. So the benefits of hiring a Canadian uh, driver, you know, isn't going to be nearly nearly as great. And plus, with all the... Um, <laughs> Uh, the corporations now down in Mexico um you know they'll not only will they have cheap cheap labor coming up there but there's a lot of products that they could be bringing up from Mexico um from american companies in Mexico pretty much corporations and they bring their uh their goods right up there another reason the corporations down there you know they're getting all kinds of uh tax breaks uh being down there being domiciled in Mexico uh they don't have to pay a lot of the IRS taxes there's all kinds of benefits uh because of the way the government is set up in Mexico uh that you know you can't even compare it to Canada Canada's like pretty much set up like we are in almost every aspect
2: um Okay, yeah, but okay. Uh, I mean, our Canadian friends. I mean, they're not a problem. They they adhere to our you know safety regs. I mean, you know they they abide by the rules and the laws of the, you know our our safety issues here in the U.S. Uh, again, Mexico has come out and said, you know, we can't do that. I mean, there's no way we can do that. Um, so
3: I know. Well, you you have that paper um, that you have that that said the concept document. So, I mean, um Rich Wilson was was actually the one that uh, alerted us to this um on January 6th. Ray Lahood said, "Look, pretty much, you know, you can open the borders and all like that, but they're going to have to abide by all these uh regulations."
2: And- right, which Mexico has has stated earlier that there's no way they can do that. So, if there's no way they can do that, uh we're not going to let them in.
3: Well, that's. I mean, it, it looks like it's going to be a butting heads type of thing between Congress and um, DOT. Uh, Ray LaHood sounds pretty serious about this. So, you know, it, even even the the EPA emissions and and all like that that we all have to abide by. You now, the other question comes up. Um, When they say Mexican trucks, you know, and and, uh, we've brought this up before, does that mean Mexican companies or American companies domiciled in Mexico? Is there going to be a differentiation between uh, those two things? So what that means is if they do allow them to come in, because Mexico is pretty much saying uh, that, hey, this wasn't in the NAFTA agreement, and therefore, you know, this shouldn't be added to it. That's pretty much their attitude. And DOT is saying, "No, this is our laws and what we have to abide by." And
2: uh right. And I and I've been in Mexico and I've seen I've seen some of the trucks. Now, the trucks that do come in, you know, are pretty decent, but I have seen some that, you know, pretty raggedy. There's no way they're going to be able to cross into the border. Under those conditions, but I want to stick on the job factor here um before we get into the safety issue uh, You know they said that the c s a was going to lose hundred and fifty thousand to three hundred thousand jobs. It didn't happen um Now they're saying if we're if we allow Mexican trucks and drivers in here, thousands of jobs are going to be are going to be lost by American drivers. You can look at the FMCSA summary statistics for U.S. DOT active motor carriers, and I have the figures here from 2010. And I'm just curious, Donna, what you think, how these numbers uh, add up statistically and logically. I mean, is it math- Is it mathematically possible for Mexican carriers and drivers to have an impact on American driver jobs? In 2010, um, I'm going to round the numbers off. In 2010, CDL drivers in the United States, 4.7 million. In Canada, 138, or 139,000, almost 140,000. And in Mexico, 38,000. Okay, active carriers in the U.S. in 2010, 718,000. Canada, 23,000. Mexico, uh, 15,000. Power units... Here in the U.S. in 2010, 4.5 million. In Canada, there's 130,000, and in Mexico, there's 45,500 power units. So we've got 4.7 million U.S. drivers, 38,000 Mexico drivers. That's 38,000 for the whole country. Is it mathematically possible for 38,000 drivers, and not all 38,000 Mexican drivers are going to be in the United States at the same time, Uh, So let's just say there's 20,000 of them. Um, uh, Is it mathematically possible for 20,000 Mexican drivers to have an impact on 4.7 million American jobs?
3: Well, the way I look at it is um, if it does go open, if borders are opened, that's going to um, motivate, I would think, with the economy the way it is in Mexico. A lot of um, people – there to uh, want to get their their CDL um, license in Mexico, and it's a whole different story to get a license in Mexico um, than it is here in the states. I mean, they say they go through this, that, and the other thing, but um, from what we've heard from various sources, that it's it's really not as difficult by any means to get a CDL. So it would just be another job opportunity for them. There's there's enough um mexican companies american companies domiciled in mexico where that number could probably increase i would think significantly and especially uh with all the um us corporations down there and the need to have their goods transported um you know i, I could see that number easily rising uh much greater than than that 38000 it's showing now
2: Well, that's 38,000 for the whole country. We have 4.7 million American drivers. There's millions of loads being posted and booked every single day. Um, So 38,000 Mexican drivers, 4.7 million U.S. drivers, millions of loads each day. I'm trying to see how the numbers add up here to make an impact.
3: Well, uh, another thing we were discussing was the fact that it's not just the Mexican drivers, but there's a big um, situation going on within the states right now, and everybody's aware of it, is the H-2B visas, the national drivers, um, and they come from all over, you know, the Russia, Bosnia, South Africa. Um, I mean, that's another issue. So you combine that with now even more uh, Mex- uh, the Mexican border, the cross-border trucking coming open, and, you know, that could rise significantly if you add all those numbers together. Now, uh, the industry is claiming there's a, a driver shortage, but from what we've heard, and you know this better than I do, Alan, um, people can't find jobs.
2: Yeah, well, we all know there's no such thing as a driver shortage. I mean, you have you have thousands of... Um, You know, highly skilled American drivers looking for work, can't get hired. So that's a contradictory to a uh, shortage. Right. But I do
3: think the the climate that was created was that there was going to be a driver shortage. Therefore, um, you know, there would be justification hiring all your H-2B visa national drivers and, um, and if the borders do open up. Than your Mexican drivers, there would be plenty of justification.
2: Yeah, but to get those visas, they have to. We have to show that there really is a uh, a problem of a shortage of drivers here. I don't see how they can do that when there's so many thousands of drivers that can't get that out of work.
3: Well, I wouldn't be surprised they could um, do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we're talking government, right?
4: Well,
3: uh, we're talking um, organizations that it is in their best interest to have uh, cheap uh, labor and borders opened and uh, everything else. It's, you know, all about the bottom line.
2: All right, well, let's take a call here um, uh, from, uh, let's see, where am I at here? Get my glasses from Texas, area code 972. Uh, go ahead, you're on the air.
8: Hi, this is Candy uh, from thelowpost.com. Oh, and hi, Candy. Been, uh, hello, Alan. I've been following along. This is my first time. Hi. Uh so <laughs> I'm oh, glad to, to have it. you. That's okay. okay. Uh what my concern would be is um that American companies that are do- uh domiciled in Mexico um would be able to afford uh new trucks and 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 such so they they uh could pass the regulations. You see you, they could they could pass the inspections.
2: Oh well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure they can. I mean, they've they've got the bucks and uh and Donner. You know, I I know you're foaming at the mouth to get to the taxes and everything, but I mean, they're they're making big money down there. So that I don't think that candy. I don't think that'd be a problem at all, Donna. Well, that right?
3: that brought up the question that I was kind of getting to before, because um, prior to um, Ray LaHood coming up with this concept document. Um, the phased U.S.-Mexico cross-border long-haul trucking proposal, which states that they would have to go through, you know, everything that um, the American trucking companies and drivers have to abide by, all those rules. Prior to that, that's why I said if an American company, which is domiciled in Mexico, so they have a, a Mexican name, company name, uh, would they have been able to get away with using um, inferior equipment and things like that uh, should should they have let the borders open before Ray LaHood did it so now what you're saying is okay so even if they say you know you can come but your trucks have to meet the the standards that we do and your drivers have to meet the standards and everything has to be the same so now what, what Candy's saying is well that's no big deal then perhaps for uh, the um, American companies that have company, that have terminals in Mexico. Now, on the other hand, you know the Mexican, com- the real Mexican companies down there, probably would be at a great disadvantage. But no, I totally get what you're saying, and I would think, yeah, they they would, uh, they would have to do that. Mm? Yeah, I, I, I would think
8: they would. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I think no, they done. would save save enough on uh, cheap labor. Um, and they would probably pay someone from Mexico, maybe a salaried labor, and they would be able to save enough on on labor to support or to justify the costs of buying new equipment. Well, they—I mean, don't forget—they they already have all this
3: equipment. I mean, you know, they have all their trucks are are, are legal and and they abide by all the regulations already. So. I don't even know
2: if it's a matter of buying new trucks because you know they have them right,
4: yeah,
2: yeah they already have them, and that's you know that's not a problem. I mean they operate good equipment, and we already know that, but i mean even even if they do i mean it it's still how do these numbers come to play i mean are they going to be able to make an impact on 4.7 million drivers starting at, you know, 38,000? I mean, that's that's a lot of catch up to play.
3: Well, I I I think I think if you combined all the um all the foreign uh drivers, non-American drivers into the picture, um pretty soon, you know, you, you could be hitting a, a figure of probably, you know, I I'm, I'm just estimating looking from what the reading I'm I'm reading is probably about 100,000 jobs that's a lot of jobs um but that's combining everybody combined you know Mexico and uh South Africa I know we got an email the other was it yesterday or today from and this is just one of many uh, that we get from people in other countries they want to know how can I be a driver in the United States I'm either from Russia South Africa I think was yesterday's email mhm And they want us to help them to become a driver here. And although, you know, all this isn't their fault, I mean, they're just looking for promise and opportunity, and they're saying, gee, I'd love to drive in the United States and have a better life. On the other hand, you know, you think to yourself, well, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of drivers here who who are looking for jobs themselves. So, um, you know, it's a tough situation to be in and I'll be honest with everybody, I just forward all those emails to Alan. I don't even touch them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got the uh I got the one from get a lot get a lot from South Africa. Yep, I noticed South Africa is probably probably how big as they're dying to come over here and uh, I mean, I get them from all over the world and sometimes I have to look on a globe to see where where even the heck they are. But um okay, Candy, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. Let's get um uh, let's get Willie on here. I know he has, uh, and I see all the calls. We're going to get to just as fast as we can. Uh, we'll grab Willie up here, and um, I know he has. I know he'll have something to say about this NAFTA thing. Uh, Willie, how's it going?
0: It uh, could be better, could be worse.
2: <laughs> well, I understand that. What What do you think about all this?
0: Well, uh, the main problem that I I see is this. It's basically like Canada right now. Those drivers can only come in and deliver the load that they brought in, and they have to pick a load up that's going back to their uh, country. Right. That's the same way with uh, the Mexican drivers at this time, if I'm understanding this right, that uh, they can only right. deliver the load that they bring in and take back a load straight back to Mexico. So there's no right. difference there. The difference comes when uh, a trucker, whether it's he or her, has to take a load to Mexico. And they've got their truck all fixed up and all nice and, not, uh, and all that. And by the time they get, get down there, they got to lay over a day. Chances are they're not going to have their truck the same as they come out because of thievery. And that's the same way when uh, you go down anywhere close to the borders right now, thievery. Uh, but at the same time, the trucks that come out of Mexico, even though these uh, – uh, J.P. Hunt and all these people have their own trucking companies down there. The drivers, are they going to be able to qualify into the American society such as what we have today? You know, are they going to be able to well, um, understand our regulations? That's the key part. Well, that and, was part of
3: that concept, Willie, that, con- that Ray LaHood brought out on January 6th. of, um, of and that it, it addresses that exactly um, all about the um, driver qualifications and I mean it pretty much covered everything I think we we probably need to post that link up um, so everybody can read that if not we 'll put it up on Facebook um,
2: as soon as the shows over but, yeah this just, this just gets to the uh, this just gets to the fact that they 're going to have to adhere to our strict policies and laws, and that 's part of it i mean they 're going to have to qualify or they 're not going to come in.
0: That's it. They, if they can't qualify, they can't come in. That's regardless of who they are or, or uh, where they're coming from. Now, if they come in and somehow they were able to get their green card, now that's a different story. But how they how are they going to get that accomplished? That I don't know. That's the threat. If they get their green card, here's they, a, here's a here's a that, uh, might help
3: you on on that document I was telling you about. It says conduct an English language proficiency and U.S. traffic laws knowledge test of each driver participating in the program conducted in English. Review of all convictions, crashes, and inspections in Mexico in determining carriers' safety record. So they're also going to have to have a safety record, a CSA record, just like we do.
0: And that's going to make the choices. So, as- if you look at the, the regulations even today, uh, if a DOT officer pulls someone over and they can't, they cannot speak English, and I, it doesn't matter what country they're from, they get a citation if they cannot speak English. That is a write-up. And it's a violation. It's a moving violation, the way if I'm understanding it right. And please don't take me to the bank on it. That's the same way with people coming in from Mexico. Doesn't matter where they're coming from. If they cannot speak English on our nation's highways, that is a write-up. So if uh, any officer, state trooper, DOT, uh, anybody pulls them over and they they can't speak English, they're done right there. They're not allowed to move any farther.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what. The, that's what the. Um... Uh, the regulations that they're going to have to abide by deal with, we're talking about are they going to affect American jobs. What do you think?
0: Well, no more truckers that's coming in from uh, uh, Mexico. I can't see too much at this time. But that does not mean that uh, they won't start to influence more as time goes on. Because you got how many people down there that is out of work compared to uh, uh, here in the United States? Yes, I understand we have a lot here in the United States. But Mexico has a lot more, a lot more, uh, as far as I understand, in poverty than what we are. So therefore, what, what what, are you looking at? If they know that they can get a job paying halfway decent money, if it was me, yes, I'd be taking it. I'd be doing everything in my power to get into uh, trucking so I can make a halfway decent living for my family. And that's what they're trying to do, too. But see, uh, even though you look at it that way, they're still going to take time. But at the same time, the regulations, you know, Mexico has got to come up with their regulations to uh, just as well as we have to regulate the other countries that's trying to come in. They have to regulate themselves also. If they don't follow their own regulations and what our uh, country has gone through in the past, If they don't look at it and see, all right, where are we doing wrong? How can we repair and allow us to be able to really financially help our own country as well as the country we're going into? If you can't do it, don't do it.
2: Yeah, well, well, Mexico has their own regulatory programs. They have their own safety programs, and they're a... uh, they're a full partner in the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, which sets the standards for North American commercial vehicle inspections. Uh, their standards just don't meet our standards.
0: That's it. They've got to come up or surpass. Canada surpasses our standards.
2: Well, I don't think they have to. I don't think I don't think we have the right to tell a country. How to uh, set up their regulatory or safety programs? The only thing is they're going to have to abide by ours when they're in the co- when when they're in this country.
0: You're right. You are correct, 100%. Alan, but when you stop and look at Canada, they see the advantage of uh, having the regulations that they have just a little bit better than ours. They they see the. Uh, Proven availability of accident Ratings, safety ratings, if their equipment Is just a little bit better than ours That's what Mexico's Well, some of, those,
3: some of those regulations they have I believe they do have like speed Limiters uh, yeah. Up there I right, don't right like now
4: <laughs> that, I
3: don't no, like the And we had that Show, I think you, you were part of that Show, um, if I remember correctly We pretty much Stated that a lot of people Feel that those speed limiters um, Can actually you know, because of accidents rather than prevent them, so that's a whole other issue. So, I, I don't, don't know if I would say they were better, but I'd say they have more regulations. Um, yes, I, I'm not really that sure. That I will agree. I will agree. I'm
0: sorry if I said uh, they're better. I didn't mean that. Okay. Uh, the way it's good.
3: <laughs> but they uh, are used to regulations. That's for sure.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, one thing, one thing, one thing about Canada, and thanks, Willie. One thing about Canada is, you know, they they do adhere to our trial rules and laws, Uh, Mexico says that they can't do that. If they can't do that, I don't see us letting them uh, come in. So let's grab another caller, area code, um, uh, let's see, 763 out of Minnesota. Go ahead, you're on the air.
9: Hello, Alan, it's Jason Haggard again. Hey,
2: Jason. Hey, Jason.
9: (laughs) How are you guys doing?
2: Good. Good. Um,
9: I, I kind of I touched on this a little bit in the chat room, and, and there's actually a, it's it's kind of a it's it's actually almost a three or a four, four fourfold effect. Um, I think what a big part of this is um, people are wondering, and part of it is going to be fear of the unknown. Um, but there's this there's this imaginary line, or, you know, the, you know it, that equates to the border itself. That what happens between. Our border and their border, as far as translating who's going to enforce what and how are we going to be able to enforce it? Say, if we have repeat violations up here, now are they going to be able to just run back south of the border and never be held accountable for it you know there's There's one of the issues there because that's that's already been a thing not not just with the you know with the Mexican trucks but even Mexican you know cars and pickups you know in the in the states. Um, I know there was a, a good example of that was in in Iowa, believe it or not. Um, they were stopping motorists from, from Mexico who did not have a valid driver's license, did not even have insurance, and they were not allowed to do anything because of the immigration laws and such like that, where they were told flat out to let them go, do not detain them and i think that it it it's going it, that definitely scares people into thinking well how can we make them conform to our our commercial our commercial vehicle laws if we can't even get a grasp on that
3: well also do we have the manpower to be inspecting all these uh drivers and trucks and i mean you, you can't just stop them because then it's going to be like profiling you know but uh I thought of that. I mean, do we have that kind of manpower?
9: I don't. I don't know that we do, and I don't know that we would that we would have the resources, the financial resources, or even the manpower alone that it would take to to basically cross train the the current uh, DOT officials that we have now. You know, that's they would. I would think they would almost have to start another pilot program to train these officials um, that are working. You know, all the different you know inspection sites across the country um to be you know to be aware of you know what is already you know what's mandated by mexico versus what's mandated by us and how is that going to pertain from one country to the other um you know they're going to have to almost go down a a, you know a checklist of things and think okay well would this truck have been allowed over here if this wasn't checked or should i just go ahead and check it anyhow um i think it's going to be Almost, I think it's almost going to double their workload.
3: Oh yeah, and, um, maybe that's the job increase they're saying that the country will get from all this. Because as far as uh, uh, as jobs in America, because of any kind of um, free trade agreement, you know, we all know we're losing jobs um, to to other other countries because of these agreements. So maybe those are the only jobs that'll be
2: opened up by all this.
0: Well, we'll just
2: wait and see. I saw something online the other day about how many Mexican trucks were being inspected coming across the border, and um, it was a pretty good number. I mean, I don't remember it. I don't have it here in front of me. I mean, if they open the open the border, obviously there's going to be more coming in, and probably some will, some will slip through like they do now. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens.
9: Yeah, I, I really – I honestly, I don't see – in in the immediate future, I don't see a whole lot of job loss for American citizens. Honestly, American drivers. Um, it's what I think. It's I think what we might be doing is we might be opening ourselves up to give them an inch, they take a mile, uh, type theory. And that's that. Uh, they're you know they've been asking for this and asking for it. And yeah, we have the Canadian trucks here and stuff. And I think what's I think what we might be setting ourselves up for is you know, six to 18 months down the road, they say, okay, now that we're in here, we want to be able to haul freight within the U.S. as well. And I think that's where people are going to really get in an uproar, and I think that's why a lot of us right now are so defensive right off the bat.
2: Yeah, well, that would have to take a whole new set of regulations, and you know how long that goes. And, I mean, this this has to deal with NAFTA. I mean, Mexico has been screaming, you know, since 94, you know we have we haven't abided by uh, the nafta agreement so if if they're wanting to run intrastate when they're here um well you're set you're opening up a whole new can of worms of regulations and years years in the courts don't you think
9: oh yeah definitely but i i do think yeah. that that, play, that plays into a lot of the fear right now of people saying you know hey we don't want them here i mean i and you guys know me i'm i'm a fair guy as as fair as fair can be um but I think honestly, all it's going to take is one or two examples of, you know, the, we all know how the, how the media runs with things. And I think what the first thing that's going to happen is they open up the borders again. And there's any problems, it's going to hit the headlines, and we're just going to see a mass effect and just, you know just upheaval in the industry where people are saying, you know what, get them out of here now.
2: Yeah.
4: I don't
9: think I don't think they're going to want to wait for transition to take place.
2: Oh, I don't think so either. I mean, if that if that turns out to be the case, uh, yeah, that'll that'll definitely be a big blow up. I mean, if they start wanting to run intrastate. So, uh, well, we'll wait and see. But Jason, I appreciate it. We've we'll, we got to take a short break. We'll get your call. I see callers from Maryland, other callers on there. We'll get to you just as soon as we can. When we come back, let's discuss the safety issue that so many people in the industry are focused on when it comes to Mexican trucks running in the U.S., but... But first, I want to tell you more about TransProducts.com. You heard Donna mention this at the beginning of the show. With the the CSA and all the regulations facing drivers in the industry, we know it's never been more important to stay up on current regs and, more specifically, remain in constant compliance. Compliance for drivers in the industry has never been more crucial. Well, Trans Products and Trans Services are your full-service transportation material, compliance, supply, and regulatory service provider, and have been since 1957. Dedicated to servicing uh, your needs, not emptying your wallet, it's hard enough in these tough economic times to have to spend money to meet regulatory requirements, but with Trans Products, Trans service, friendly sound advice quality products and friendly personal attention they will make you feel like you have a friend and colleague in the industry from logbook auditing to driver quali- uh, driver qualification file management uh, fuel tax filing to UCR filings from on-site training to technical service trans service is like having an entire regulatory agency working just for you and the products forms documents Training materials and supplies are like going to uh, your fully stocked supply closet and having everything you need in stock and readily available to you right then and there. So quick personal service and prompt delivery takes the worry out of having what you need when you need it in this just-in-time inventory control environment that we're living in now. And the friendly, courteous people at Trans Products are a bonus in an otherwise hectic, busy day. There's no unsolicited interrupting telemarketers when it's most inconvenient. Uh, Their night leather division can supply you with all your transportation leather goods, from wallets to logbook, uh, permit holders, and custom orders and imprints are their specialties. And Rich Wilson and his staff of on-site regulatory specialists relieve concerns of misinterpreting how you are supposed to comply with personal service from years and years of combined experience and communication. And your drivers, as well as C- uh, CEOs, will be trained with an understanding of what, when, why, and how to comply without total interruption of daily operations. So contact Trans Products or Trans Services and Night Leather for more information and a free catalog. You can call toll-free 800 367 9100 or on the web at transproducts.com and request more information about products and services. Highly recommended. That's transproducts.com. Okay, a quick break, and when we return, how serious really is the safety concern for allowing Mexican trucks to operate in the U.S. through a NAFTA-Mexico agreement? 347-826-9170. Maryland hang it on. I'll get to you right when we come back. Our call-in number, 347-826-9170. And we'll be right back after this really short break. Alan Smith here with Truth About Trucking Live and Askthetrucker.com. Remember the late 60s and the 1970s when songs about trucking, the truck driver, and the trucking way of life was all over the radio? Songs like Six Days on the Road, Teddy Bear, and of course the number one hit by C.W. McCall, Convoy. Well, the lifestyle of the American trucker is once again making its way into the world of music and the dreams that legends are made of. Songwriters Barry Allen and David Ayers of Allen & Ayers Productions, along with artist John Johnson, have produced the first music CD since the mid-70s dedicated to all the men and women of trucking. The CD is a savvy, up-to-date collection of original songs relating to present-day issues that truckers face on a daily basis. Songs like Don't Get Hooked on Dak, The Trucking Brand, Say a Prayer for Jason, and of course the smash hit, when the big rigs don't roll be sure to get your copy of when the big rigs don't roll cd or you can download just the songs that you want just visit askthetrucker.com and you'll find the music player right on our website individual songs are only 99 cents each or to receive the entire collection just a small cost of only fifteen dollars the hard copy of the cd is scheduled to be released in august 2010 these are all new, original trucking songs that will keep you running down the highway, saluting all of our nation's truckers who keep America moving. When the Big Rigs Don't Roll, trucking CD release, produced by Allen & Ayers Productions. All right, welcome back to Truth About Trucking Live, discussing NAFTA, Mexico, Facts or Fear, before we get started on a safety issue here, I have to tell you about this newest technology that will change how independent contractors, fleet owners, and literally thousands of motor carriers will do business. I mean, without a doubt. Imagine at the beginning of each week, you could do it, you could go to a website and find a week's worth of loads in advance, starting from your home base, reloading your trailer after each delivery in the same city you just dropped off the load, every time, and carrying the final load back to your home base by Friday. And also imagine having hundreds of options of trips just like this from which to choose and that all the loads for each trip are displayed right in front of you with contact information so you can book them right then and there by sending an email with a click of a mouse or by calling by phone. And imagine that just above each trip you know how many total miles a trip will be and how many of those miles you will have to drive empty. And also imagine that the total number of miles is over 2,500 and that the deadhead miles are less than 100 and, in many cases, even zero, zero deadhead miles. Imagine that you could find up to 400 complete trips just like this, each with all of this information in less than two minutes. Plan ahead and book your loads a week in advance before you even leave home base. With a trip that will drastically reduce deadhead miles, increase fuel cost savings, and greatly minimize layovers. So does it sound like a dream? Well, it's not. You can do this now by going to a new website, bestloadpost.com. And this is not just another load board, it's a it's the newest technology and freight finding services for the owner, operator, and motor carriers alike. Already have your loads pre-planned and booked, ready to go a week in advance, bestloadpost.com. Check it out, bestloadpost.com. So up next, safety, allowing Mexican trucks into the U.S. across all 48 states. Should this really be a safety concern? Are they actually that unsafe? We'll jump in here, grab our caller from Maryland, who's been hanging on a little bit here for a while. Uh, Let me bring him up here. Uh, Okay, come on, work. There you go. Okay, area code 240, Maryland. Thanks for hanging on. You're on the air. Go ahead.
5: Hey, Alan, Donna, this is Joey. Hey, Joey. Hey. Um. A few weeks ago, I had to deliver down an Eagle Pass. As far as the trucks go, they had brand new trucks, if not '07 and better, sitting there waiting for drivers that are currently, according to the forwarding agent I was talking to, that are going through the English speaking classes as of right now. Um, As far as taking our jobs, no, I don't foresee that happening. My biggest concern is such as load securement. Um, Would I have to put six and seven chains on? Most of those guys that come across the border might throw three chains on and a couple ropes. Um, Yeah. That and, you know, and I know a few drivers who've had problems with Canadian trucks when they've gotten into a wreck, happen to fight with the Canadian companies and the insurance companies up there. It, I can just foresee it's going to be a nightmare trying to fight with a Mexican company.
2: Yeah, but with uh, and Donna, you can jump in here too because I know you have the document again. With with the new regul with the new strict regulations that they have to abide by that Ray LaHood has has pointed out. I mean, uh, ropes and every they won't be able to do that
3: well not only that they have to abide by um csa just like we do and i, I know what you're saying um you know they're going to be doing it and is I mean re- that's how they're
2: doing it now but they won't they won't be allowed in here if they if they do it that way under these new regs right
3: absolutely i i mean okay theoretically no they're not going to be able to do that will they still do it well they most likely will because that's what they're used to and what we have to hope is that DOT does their job and enforces um, all these regulations that the american driver that everybody all drivers have to abide by and that they are um they are cited for this and and something's done about it so no absolutely uh, totally i hear you they're used to doing things a different way and um they're not going to be able to That's pretty much the bottom line and, and as far as will it be enforced Well, like Alan said You know, we won't know in, Until it happens And and actually looking looking at all this uh, Requirements From that concept document I'm even wondering if they're Going to be able to come in here, period Well, let well,
2: uh, me Go ahead, sorry,
5: no, uh, go, go ahead Personally, I don't see You know, DOT enforcing the securement issues because you drive down the road and you look at a lot of the flatbeds out here on the road, and they're not even securing their loads the way they're supposed to be. And DOT doesn't do anything to them. You know, I don't perceive DOT standing out there and checking the grade of of the chains on these trucks. Well, that's what we were saying before. Is Is
3: there the manpower? Um, I mean, A, there was going to be needed manpower just to enforce CSA with our own trucks. Now you're you're talking about bringing in inferior trucks, and um, well, well, I mean, why do you
2: say inferior trucks? Well,
3: if their if their trucks are um, older and they themselves have admitted that they couldn't pass regulations here, then I'm 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 using that word to mean as something that they themselves
2: have admitted to. Well, yeah, but again, those older trucks aren't going to be allowed in here due to our emission control laws.
3: Well, right. I mean, I understand that, but the question was, are they used to doing things like this? Well, they're used to being not up to snuff on regulations because, truthfully, they're – there really aren't any regulations. I mean, even though they may say there's regulations, it's a whole different ball of wax down there. As anybody who who lives down there will tell you, um, you know, you get stopped and, and you pay somebody. You you can't pay a DOT officer off over here. I mean that's not gonna happen. I mean Well it has happened. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I knew <it>. yes, yes.
2: <laughs> Oh, you set yourself up for I that did, one. I did. But but not to such a degree as down there.
3: Right, it's it's not the norm here, but it is the norm there. And uh, you know, will they do it? Yeah. Do we have the manpower to catch everybody? I just can't imagine it.
2: Well, we don't because we don't have the manpower to catch even the American drivers and company that's doing it. And that's basically, Joey. That's what you're saying, right?
5: Yes. Yes, sir. You know, I've I've been down on the border many many times, uh, and I've I've seen loads come in and out of. Across the border, that should have had a dozen chains and binders on it,
8: and have
5: it the most three chains on it. You know, and that's yeah. even that's on the U.S. side. So if they're not even stopping them at the border like that, when they're just going to Laredo or Eagle Pass, who's to say they're going to stop them as they're, you know, once they get away from that point?
2: Yeah, and that that's where the problem. I mean, I can see manpower being a big problem, but again, I always reiterate if. Uh, you know, Mexico has said they cannot comply with our rules. If they don't, they're not coming in. But, I mean, I see your point. I definitely believe there's going to be a problem with manpower if, if uh, the borders actually open up to all 48 states.
5: Oh, definitely. You know, um, a couple of years ago I actually applied to federal DOT and was turned down because I didn't speak Spanish. Wow. You know, well, you know, one, our law is you guys they got to speak English to come into the country. So what difference does it make if I spoke Spanish or not?
3: And catch the, uh, the ones that can't speak English so you can tell them
5: they have to leave. Well, I'm going to know real quick if they can't speak English. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, that's that's real funny, too, because, I mean, that's happened to me several times here, running up and down I-75 here in Florida. I've, st- I've pulled into the rest area, and it was about two or three months ago. A driver walked up to me. Uh, he was a Mexican driver. Couldn't speak English. Um, he had a question, I, I guess, from his boss that was written down, uh, and it was in English. Wanted to know how to, what was the best way to get to uh, Orlando, and uh, I mean, I've studied, you know, I'm Quito i I mean, I speak a little bit, but I had enough to get by, and I explained it to him. And I drove off, thinking, now that that guy can't speak a lick of English, and here he is in Florida, headed to Orlando. How did he get here?
0: Yeah, it, it's scary.
2: It is, it is. And now, now you're with uh, Diamond Transportation. Yes, sir. Right, and uh, and that, uh, flatbed hauler.
5: Yes, sir. I do all specialized.
2: Right, all specialized flatbed. Good company, um, if I remember right. DiamondTrans.com, correct? Yes, sir. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm sure you see that all the time. And, you know, that's a good point because I haven't dealt with flatbedding that much. But uh, uh, I, I, I'll be curious to see what happens if this thing goes through and they try to come across the border with their freight uh, strapped down with ropes.
5: Oh, it's just it's just a force of habit after doing this for so long. You know, you drive down the road and start looking at how everybody else has theirs secured. And, you know, going, oh, man, I can't believe this guy's even going down the road like that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. It's scary. All right, Joey, I appreciate it. Thanks.
5: All right, thank you, Alan. Y'all have a good night.
2: All right, you too. Appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, he was Diamond Transportation. It's a good company. If you're looking for, a special, to be a hauler for a specialized carrier, uh, highly recommend it. Just go to diamondtrans.com. It's a really, really good company. Uh, and Donna, like I was saying earlier, Mexico uh, and caller from Delaware, that may be Rich there. We'll get to you here in just a second. Mexico has their own regulatory programs, safety programs, are a full partner in the uh, Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, and that's the that's the organization that sets the standards for North American commercial vehicle inspections. But again, they've stated that there's no way that they can adhere to the strict U.S. safety policy. So. Uh, U.S. authorities have stated that their goal is, and I'm going to read it here, to ensure the safety and security of U.S. citizens, Mexico domicile trucking companies and truck drivers must be required to comply with the same level of safety, security, and environmental standards that already apply to U.S.-based companies and drivers. So if they're going to operate here in this country... Uh, they certainly have to be held to the high safety standards of the U.S., just like the Canadians abide by, by our laws and regulations. And if they can't meet those standards, then, again, I don't see the U.S. allowing them in. But if they do abide by our safety regulations and so forth, um, why can't the Mexican trucks do the same as Canadians? And, you know, I'm surprised, Donna, here's Joey with a motor carrier and a few other callers and some comments that I'm getting here, some email blast. Still not. uh, uh, There's still a lot of people out there that don't see this being uh, a big major job issue.
3: Uh, Yeah, I I I got the feeling. I think people have other concerns. I know a lot of people have brought up um, the um, what about the drugs going to be coming in.
2: Yeah, I'm going. That's what we're going to finish on.
3: And, you know, there's all kinds of concerns. And you say, well, what's the difference with the Canadians? The Canadians really we don't have any of these issues with. They don't have a cartel where our, our drivers are worried about getting killed. Um, you know, they they uh, they aren't worried about smuggling. And uh, There's really no uh, domiciled uh, uh, companies up there because there's no uh, benefit. You know they're not going to get cheaper labor, that's for sure, so it's really like comparing apples to oranges when people bring up that fact. well, what about canada it It's just not the same thing as far as I can see,
2: yeah, I can see well, okay, what well, let's talk about safety standards compared to the u s now Mexico will show lower numbers due to the variation in total numbers between u s but let's look at some stats provided by our own f m c s a and again. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously their safety stats are going to be lower because their numbers are so much lower. Uh, You know, 4.7 million U.S. drivers, 38,000 drivers. But let's look at total inspections, and this is from the uh, compliance reviews and audits performed because the federal or state inspectors go into the carrier's place of business and examine the logs, maintenance records, and the carrier's compliance. Total inspections for 2010 U.S. had 10,805 inspections. Canada had 158. Mexico had 124. Satisfactory ratings, the U.S. had 6,409. Canada had 121. And out of 124 Mexican uh, inspections, they had a satisfactory rating of 84. Unsatisfactory, U.S. had 218. Canada had one. Mexico had three. Uh, traffic enforcement violations, moving violations. In 2010, U.S. drivers and carriers had 165,000 moving violations. Canada had 4,600. Mexico had 307. Drug and alcohol violations, U.S. had 1,206. Canada had 43. Mexico had four. Uh, traffic violations, uh, improper crossing of a railroad crossing, U.S. had 300 and Mexico and Canada tied with 3. And miscellaneous traffic violations, US had 463,000, Canada had 6200, Mexico had 3800. And now look let's look at commercial vehicle crashes and this is from the FMCSA's report. Crashes involving commercial motor vehicles in 2010, United States had 72,801. Canada had 1,004. Mexico had 33. Uh, Non-fatal crashes, U.S. had 70,891. Canada had 985. Mexico had 33. And crashes involving commercial motor vehicles that resulted in fatalities. In 2010, U.S. had 1,910. Canada had 19. Mexico had zero. So, although the number of trucks, carriers, and drivers are much lower than the U.S. and Canada, still, safety stats are pretty darn good for what is actually showing for Mexico. Am I missing something, Donna?
3: Well, there's the um, first of all. If 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 you have less of anything, then your 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 percentages are going to be greater. Right. So that's a given. So if they gave those stats as um, raw data is what they did, um, each one of those stats should have been um, divided by the total amount of trucks on the road, drivers driving trucks on the road. It has to represent a percent instead of the actual raw data, and I don't know if they did that. Now, as far as that zero on fatal truck crashes, um, I'm under the understanding that if a Mexican driver is in a fatal crush, uh, truck crash, that they go to jail for a very, very long time, if not for life.
2: They could go to jail for life, and usually when there's a crash in Mexico involving a fatality, that driver is out of that truck and he's gone. That's right.
3: <laughs> I'm not surprised that that figures zero, because to me what that represents is they couldn't find the guy. Well, they could find the fatality. Um, yeah, well, they, I, I don't think they found the driver, um, which you know makes me wonder how you can't find a driver. I mean, you, you know who was in the truck, but evidently not. Like I said, I don't think we can compare how they do things in Mexico like we do things here. I think it's a whole different ball game, and I mean, I've just heard a little bit of what goes on by talking to some. Uh, some people who uh, live there and who have lived there and have family there and, and I was shocked and I probably don't even know a tenth of a percent of it So,
2: well I've been there and I have hauled out in there and I have seen it is a whole new world I mean I have seen them go up on the sidewalks I have seen some amazing things that they do there's no emission laws I mean you sit in traffic and uh uh the smoke coming from the pipes will just just choke you. But, again, they would have to abide by our rules and regulations. So American job loss, Mexican truck driver safety issues, uh, what are we hearing in the U.S.? Is it fact or is it fear of the unknown? Um, uh, take this caller. This may be rich on a Delaware 302. And then I want to get into what I what well, I feel is my own personal concern about a NAFTA Mexico agreement that supersedes everything else that we're talking about, and we'll get to that. Uh, let's grab, um, I think this is Rich, area code 302 349. Go ahead, you're on the air. Yeah.
10: Good evening, Alan.
2: <clears throat> hey.
10: Um, one of the problems we're having with the safety, I know the concept sheet and everything was nice and it looked real pretty, and and everything, but uh, the main problem we have is getting people to go down into Mexico to do the actual inspections on the companies. They have to perform similar to what we get as a new entry and level on a DOT number as a safety audit. Um, they have to have the same things in place that we have driver qualification, drug and alcohol. Um, back before the uh, expiration of the original cross border, the federal government was using private contractors to go down into Mexico along with some of their own people. And when you go down into a village where the 90% of the buildings have dirt floors and you go into the office of one of these trucking companies um, and the guy stands over your shoulder and you start asking for information, the first thing they do is they say, how much is this going to cost? You know, and and they put you in a very bad position because you don't want to tell them where they failed or they passed because you want to get out of there alive. Um, you know, I I think that uh, the the fact that Ray LaHood has put this concept paper out and 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 has made the statement that they must meet the same um, standards as what our drivers do is great, but it's like enforcement. Um, you know, how many trucks are running up and down the road that have no uh, MC number and no authority to haul uh, for higher freight in this country, or you know, they're not getting caught. And and I think that the Mexicans uh, do get equipment, do get drivers that are qualified, and do get in here. And you know, they pull into a scale with a, you know, they come into the United States hauling a load, and they go like to Wisconsin, and they pick up a load in Wisconsin, going back down to Texas.
9: <clears throat>
10: I, you know. It, Unless the, the DOT officers and, and the state police agencies and the truck enforcement people scrutinize the bills of lading and where they're going, these guys could haul around here for, you know, quite a while, um, you know, before they get back to Texas. Uh, I, I, that's one of my concerns. And then another one is insurance. You know, if these trucks are unsafe and they – and one of the things that they're talking about is actually lowering the standard of safety – to meet the qualifications uh, of NAFTA so we don't get into a big lawsuit because we're not letting the people in because, you know, a lot of them can't qualify. A lot of the trucks can't pass the safety, and a lot of the companies don't have the, uh, um, you know, the documents and the records and, and in place that they're supposed to have to, to meet that. Um, you know, that, that if they get over here and they have an, uh Mexican insurance and they hit somebody, uh, who's going to pay the claims? Uh, who's going to pay for the the the, the uh, rehab of the people involved in the accident? And I think that is a a great concern as well as losing the drivers. There there's economic uh, problems involved with it as well.
3: Well, that's a good point. But the, I didn't even think of the insurance actually.
2: Um, Isn't that on your document though, Donna?
3: Is
10: it? it you know, I saw not...
2: something about insurance that they're going to have to. Uh, uh, you know, show proof and all that good stuff,
10: oh yeah, proof of insurance, but Forman and I were talking the other day, I took her right on there and showed her where you can go right on the c s a site and you can do a uh, um, uh, a search, a general search of Mexican carriers, and you can see Mexican carriers on there that have alerts that have uh, uh um, high percentages, just like our guys do um and the same thing with the ANI site when you go run an insurance on a carrier to see if they have insurance that, you know, it'll have insurance on there as being active, um, an active insurance company. But the thing is, the insurance company sent electronic um, submissions to the federal government stating you have $750,000 insurance, but that doesn't state that that insurance company is a a triple-A rated or uh, a good company that's going to pay. I mean, they're in Mexico. Who's, you know, one of our lawyers going to go down there and fight them in their courts and try to get claims? Um, You know, just because, uh, you know, they have insurance doesn't necessarily mean it's good insurance. And and second of all, um, sometimes it takes that A&I website up to as much as three to five months to update um, a cancellation of a policy. So you may look them up, their insurance may be active, but you have an accident. And, And like Donna said, the driver disappears into the, you know, if he has an accident in central Texas, the guy can disappear into the public, and you never find him. The company disappears, and the trucks are throw away anyway. So you know what the heck.
2: Yeah, but with the American domicile with the with the American carriers domiciled there, I mean, they'll I mean they they'll have the you know the papers and insurance that uh you know is, is needed to operate here in the U.S. Don't you think?
10: Oh, I agree. I agree. And and most of those carriers, like we're talking about, we discussed like Swift and some of the others that have divisions mm-hmm. down there are self-insured anyway, um, you know, right. and, and you would probably stand a much better chance of recovery with somebody like that. But I don't think that's the group we're talking about. I think the group we're talking about is that uh, percentage of small carriers. I know, I you know, I can't go into a lot of detail, as you understand. <coughs> Excuse me, but <clears> – <throat> Carriers that I know of down there that uh, I've actually seen in, in, in you know, um, whatever, have, um, you know, their insurance, you you know, you try to call and ask to speak to uh, uh, an underwriter or their agent to get a uh, um, MCS-90 or BMX-91 sent off to the federal government. And, you know, they look at you and go, what's that? What's that? And the guy, will t- you know, point blank will ask you, well, here, let me just give you uh, $500 and you take care of it. No, no, you know that's not the way it works, and and I think that that would be a bigger problem than probably is even being addressed at this point. Um, it's just a food for thought. You know what I'm saying?
9: Yeah,
2: yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. I mean, I, I would think. I mean, those are the Mexican carriers. I mean, I think the uh, the American companies that are domiciled there. I mean, you look at Swift. They have they have nine terminals throughout Mexico. I mean, these are going to be the major carriers that are going to be uh, operating from there in here anyway, right?
10: Well, yeah, and and you and I both know that's why certain organizations that are supportive of the major 500 and the top five and the top ten and all those, um, you know, subliminally and under the table are supporting it because it's going to, you know, be increased business for their people. Um, And... uh, but, you know, it's not, you know, I, I'm worried about them, don't get me wrong, because it's still the guy driving the, behind the wheel, no matter, you know, who's, what, what you know, part of the border the Freightliner or the Volvo is from, you know, or, you know, or the trailer or whatever. My concern is the guy behind the wheel, you know, is this an opportunity for him not to have to crawl over a fence, but to climb in behind the seat and then come across their border and then he parks the truck, you know, in Laredo? and jumps out, you know, and he's across the border and he's free and, and, and way to go. Um
2: right.
10: you know, that type of thing as well. I don't know how much of that you're gonna stop. I don't know how much is going to happen. Um but, you know, we're we're right now a lot of these the bigger companies, the ones you're mentioning, are going to foreign nationals, you know, internationally to fill the seats in these trucks, you know, um financially, you know, they 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 work for less money. Um, and, and it's the same thing with the Mexican carriers coming across. You know, if they drive for SWIFT, that doesn't mean when they come here they're still going to be employed by SWIFT. You know, they could be employed by Joe's Landscape, you know, in, in Dallas. But the thing about it is it's still getting back to the point of the safety of the vehicles. You know, LaHood, and I understand Ray put together this proposal in, the, in this paper and it's all great in what he did, but somebody's got to go down there and inspect these trucks and inspect these companies. And right now, you're going to jeopardize the lives of Americans over that border when they got to go in. And anytime you go in as an official or as an enforcement person, you're taking your life in your hands. So I don't think we're going to get the inspections done that they're requiring to be done by American people and US citizens and if you put it in the hands of the Mexican federales well i can imagine there's going to be a few federales going to have new homes and new cars
2: yeah well i i i know i know exactly exactly what you're saying and that that's that's one of my my final point here and and uh, i appreciate the call but here's here's my own personal concern about a NAFTA, and donna you've touched on this a few times already so i want to get into this mexico my, uh, my personal concern about a NAFTA-Mexico agreement towards a full 48-state operation, and I'll sum it up in one word, and that's crime. And I will follow that with three subcategories, drugs, killings, and terrorism. And as, as of 2009, it was estimated that 90% of drugs used in the U.S. come through Mexico. And we all know the impact of incoming drugs from Mexico into the U.S., which leads to much of the killings we're hearing about. I mean, crime in Mexico is well-known. Al-Qaeda operatives are in Mexico, drug traffickers, uh, human trafficking, and all the killings that we're hearing about. I mean, February 9th, Ciudad Juarez, the city of Jerez, Mexico, three teenage boys were shot to death at a car dealership, two of which were U.S. citizens. Um... This border town, as we all know, right across from El Paso, Texas, had a had a record number of drug killings in 2010. A total of 3,111 people were killed in that city alone, making 2010 the city's bloodiest year ever. And it, it has seen its homicide rate soar to one of the highest in the world, Uh, due to turf battles breaking out between gangs representing the Jerez and uh, Sinaloa cartels in 2008. Its bloodiest month last year was October when 359 people were murdered. That works out to be an average killing of 8.5 per day. So since 2006, the total number of drug-related killings have now topped 30,000, And that's just one border town. So let's put it in a more perspective. In 2008, New Orleans was the murder capital of the U.S., reporting 209 killings for the entire year. Now, in one year, 2010, Ciudad Juarez had 3,111 killings. Now, terrorism. A book. This was recently in the news. A book celebrating suicide bombers was recently found in the Arizona desert, oh, like a few weeks ago, just north of the U.S.-Mexico border. And the book, in memory of a, found by a U.S. Border Patrol agent out of the Casa Grande substation, who was patrolling a route known for smuggling illegal immigrants and drugs. It, it was um, published in Iran. It consists of short biographies of uh, Islamic suicide bombers and other Islamic militants who died carrying out attacks. And according to internal U.S. Customs and Border Protection documents, the book also includes letters from suicide attackers to their families, as well as some of their last wills and testaments. And each biographical page contains the terrorist's name, date of death, and how they died. Now, A few years ago, the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, revealed details of how Islamic terrorists and violent Mexican drug gangs have teamed up to successfully penetrate the U.S. as well as finance terror networks in the Middle East. And additionally, the uh, top Homeland Security official in Texas confirmed that terrorists with ties to Hezbollah, Hamas, and al-Qaeda have been arrested crossing into the state through the Mexican border. And a separate case in Virginia illustrated that terroristic enterprises are on the rise through the uh, through the borders of Mexico. In that case, a man uh, with admitted ties to al-Shabaab was currently being prosecuted for running an international business that smuggled more than 200 Somalis across the Mexican border. The Somalis are believed to have been dispersed across the U.S. and still remain at large. Uh, Homeland Security finally admitted uh, that Mexican drug cartels and Middle Eastern extremists have for years joined forces to smuggle weapons and terrorists into the U.S. Uh, They had no choice but to eventually admit to it uh, when WSBT Channel 2 Action News uh, hit the airwaves with this report.
6: Channel 2 Action News has obtained evidence that terrorists are crossing the southwest border from Mexico. In May, we revealed how thousands of illegals from nations that sponsor terror, like Yemen, are being caught entering. Our stories went viral. Nearly 11 million people saw them. Still in June, Homeland Security said there's no credible information terrorists are operating at the border. So we went back and found government documents that contradict that. The Border Patrol has captured thousands of people called OTMs, other than Mexicans. Many are from nations that have harbored terrorists, like Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Sudan, Somalia, Pakistan, and Yemen. The federal government calls people from those nations SIAs, or special interest aliens. The government has offered very little detail about the number of actual terrorists caught on the border. Retired INS agent Michael Cutler says the terrorist border threat has been covered up.
9: The government is attempting to keep the citizens of our country like a bunch of mushrooms. You know, keep us in the dark and feed us a lot of uh, manure.
6: Government officials have denied terrorists have crossed our open borders, but Channel 2 Action News has proof they have. These federal court documents, filed in San Antonio federal court in May, reveal an indictment against Ahmed Muhammad Daqani for smuggling hundreds of people from Brazil to Mexico and into the U.S., among them Somalis from the terrorist group Al-Shabaab, a group responsible for terror attacks and suicide bombings around the globe.
2: And to this day, we do not know where those 300 uh, Somalis are, uh, but we know they're in the United States.
6: And there's this 2009 GAO report confirming that terrorists have been picked up inside the U.S. after crossing the southwest border. The report reveals three known terrorists were arrested at a U.S. Border Patrol checkpoint like the one we're approaching. No other information was released. Texas Congressman Michael McCall has seen the intelligence reports. There are many
2: people not only being apprehended, but I think slipping through the ranks on our southern point
6: while the feds have kept the terror threat secret intelligence officials have admitted on the record there is a problem in two thousand seven former national intelligence director mike mcconnell made this rare admission to the el paso times terrorists have been caught trying to cross the mexican border and these interdictions saved american lives while just about all information about terror arrests is kept from the public border sheriffs are fully aware of the terror threat There's. Intelligence that we have that is very troubling, that is not open and available to the public. Arizona Sheriff Paul Babo says the president shouldn't seal the information. Americans want to know, especially uh, the threats that exist right here in our own country. The border threat is no secret to our enemies. Extremists have vowed to use the southern border to attack the U.S. <laughs> Kuwaiti professor Abdallah Nafisi made this chilling speech encouraging terrorists to smuggle weapons of mass destruction into the United States. Four pounds of anthrax in a suitcase this big, carried by a fighter through a tunnel from Mexico into the U.S., are guaranteed to kill 330,000 Americans in a single hour. And we ask why all the secrecy surrounding the terror threat. Some critics say it's politics and centers around the debate over amnesty for illegals. We continue our investigation tonight at 6 where we uncover documents that reveal U.S. homeland security isn't stopping the flow of people and drugs into the U.S.
2: All right, so the southwest border region is a principal entry point for undocumented documented uh, aliens smuggled from Mexico, Central America, and South America by ASOs, which stands for Alien Smuggling Organizations. And, yes, there really is such a thing as an alien smuggling organization. So a particular concern is the cross-border transit of criminal gang members who pose public safety threats to communities throughout the U.S. and the Mexico border region and the country. So the most major concern that I see with NAFTA Mexico, all due to, to the changing world we now live in, is that we will be opening ourselves up to the crossing over into our country to those who wish to harm us. And um, I like to uh, bring Richard back up here. Um, yep. That's uh, well. Let's go. Here we go, Richard. I mean, you you had touched on this a little bit just a few seconds ago. I mean, you know, there's the job issue, the safety issue. Um I see this as as a huge issue to all this. Well,
10: it was addressed in 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 the uh paper where um <clears throat> the Homeland Security and Department of Justice, they were going to have to be cleared by them. But, you know, clearing of somebody by Homeland Security and Department of Justice is easy if you got 80s available to you to run the person. But Mexico is notorious for not cooperating with uh, uh, ICE, which is the international version of ATEs, which is the criminal database. And that's what my one of my another one of my concerns is. I hadn't even got to that, but I'm glad you brought it up. Was that we can, uh, you know, if they run them on DOJ, DOJ and, and run them on uh, uh, Homeland Security, uh, and they come up negative, then. Um, You know, if they wanted to, uh, for instance, if the cartels wanted to send uh, hitmen into the United States to start knocking off American citizens, sheriffs, or other, you know, uh, uh, enforcement officials, they could knock somebody off, jump in the truck, and drive back to Mexico, and they'd be just like a truck driver. Um, That's a very, very important concern. Uh, I just recently did a job up in in North Jersey where a uh, Bosnian national, um they came over to the united states and i'm not profiling but uh in the process of uh, qualifying this individual he was going to like yourself operate a hazmat uh, truck and he sent away and got his twit card sent away and got his hazmat uh, investigation done and it came back perfectly clear because there was no data available well to me no data available is just as dangerous as somebody having data, you know, and I think that's what we're going to have and I don't think the DOJ and Homeland Security is going to find out about these people and um <clears throat> they're going to slip through the system and I and I think that is a very good concern on top of everything else we discussed tonight.
2: Yeah, and Don Don are you still there? Here. Oh, are you there? I'm here. <laughs> Okay, yeah, this is really my biggest concern, and, you know, it has nothing to do with Mexico or the people. I mean, I love the country, I love the people, I love the culture. But, you know, when you have a, a known terrorist on TV, you know, saying, hey, you know, we can come through this border with with uh, four pounds of anthrax in a suitcase this big. Um, we can kill 330,000 Ameri- 330, Americans in one hour. um Boy, you got to sit up and think a little bit, don't you?
4: Well,
3: yeah, that's you know this is just one more aspect. See, NAFTA is trucking is the last area uh, that really NAFTA is affecting. Um, I mean, it's it's the effects of it have been going on. You know, all these trade agreements with with uh, the companies in China and Korea. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, trucking is just the last part. And truck, the trucks are the ones that are going to bring the products up into the United States. So, I mean, now you're just bringing on one more aspect of it. And you you used the right uh, adjective when you said, you know, criminal, uh, because it's not run the same way the United States is. There's, there's so many underhanded things that go on uh, down there that, you know, people just don't realize that the that, that it's not run the same way as it is in the United States. And payoffs are very common. So, you know, we're we're talking about two different things. You cannot compare Canada with Mexico. You just can't. It's two different things. And um the the fact that, you know, Americans are so addicted to stuff and cheap stuff uh, that's a big problem because if, if we all would just look and see where all the items uh, we have come from and are a little more pay a little more attention to what's been manufactured in the United States um, I think we could solve a lot of these problems uh, but you know that's that's another thing educating everybody about all these free trade and the corporations in other countries the cheap labor that goes on and why we don't have jobs, well, it's because they're in other countries right now. And, you know, it's starting to look like Mexico might join. Well, they already have. We've, the companies have already hired uh, people uh, in Mexico to to take jobs from Americans, so that's nothing new. I will say this, that Mexican people are as big a victim in all this
2: as anybody um, well, there's a ton of Mexican people who can't stand NAFTA. I mean, it's run the farmers, it's run their crops, it's run their ways of life, and that's an important thing to point out. I mean, who really is for NAFTA? I mean, there's many Mexican people that are not, many Americans are not. So who who is the ones who's pushing for NAFTA so big?
3: So the corporations and, uh, and the, the Mexican government. Uh, The people are not going to benefit down there. Um, The farmers down there are starving with all our subsidized crops going down there. So, you know, that was part of the big complaint to push NAFTA. The American farmers, you know, were losing tons and tons of jobs and money and this and that. Well, in the meantime, you know, the Mexican farmers are starving to death and they can't compete with what's going uh, being brought down into Mexico. So, um, you know, we, we tend to, to look at, with um, blinders on, so to speak, tunnel vision we have, and we'll look at each little area. But when you start to look at the whole picture of NAFTA and these world uh, trade agreements going on, free trade agreements, it's easy to see that our jobs lost, they're all in other countries and why it's for cheap labor and you can you are not going to compete with that in this country and so this trucking is like the last piece to the puzzle but it's a lot deeper it's been going on a long time and uh, a a lot of the reason for the recession is because uh, most of the manufacturing is now done in other countries children child labor Um, things that we wouldn't tolerate here, which have been abolished for years, and um, it's going on over there. But as long as we still like our cheap stuff, then uh, we're not going to connect the dots to cheap stuff equals no jobs.
2: Yeah, well, I can tell you exactly how you can lower the deficit here in this country, how you can get this country back on its feet and – get the jobs going again, get the economy going again. It's real simple. Uh, it won't ever happen, but it's real simple, and that is don't buy anything made in China. And that would that that one step alone would do it, but you know, again, that's not going to happen, but that that's another show. But Richard,
1: if you, are you still was- there?
10: Yeah, yeah.
1: I hey, I, I want to ask I'd like you. To, I'd like to
10: uh, say something in, in, on your behalf of the criminal. It's much harder to inspect forty-some thousand pounds of freight than it is to inspect an SUV, and that's gonna that opens up a lot, a lot, of whole other show. Like you said, just on you know how they bring stuff in. And Donna, I have to say on on your portion of the discussion tonight, one lost American job is one job too many.
3: Right, and, and I totally agree with that, and we've lost, we've lost many of them, and not, not just to Mexico. I mean, they're all over, all over the country. And I just want to say this because I've been reading on Facebook a lot of people saying, oh, that Reagan trickle-down economics didn't work. Well, I would say Ronald Reagan would probably be turning over right now if he thought that lowering corporate taxes was not going to be enough and that the greed factor would take in and say, no, we want to pay no taxes, so we're going to have cheap labor in another country. Lowering our taxes isn't enough. If those corporations, in my opinion, would have taken that tax break and it was for the incentive to hire more American people, and if they would have reinvested it in our own country with jobs and manufacturing and exporting, we would not be in this situation. So trickle-down economics, the theory, would have worked if everybody, including the major corporations, would have played their part in, uh, in in keeping everything in the United States. So I just have to say that.
2: Well, it did work. It did work for decades, you know. So, I mean, you know, you, you can't say that it didn't work. It, it's just that now uh, we're in an era of greed, just like you say, and uh, with all these companies and, and the incredible amount of outsourcing that's going on and still continues to go on, but Richard, I want to ask you real quick as we're winding down here. You're an expert in in regu- regulations and compliance and uh, everything that you see now with this uh, document from Ray LaHood and all this. I mean, do you see uh, this? Do you see this going through? Uh, you know, a, a fully opening the border to uh... to mexico do you see it happening i think
10: the government's under the pressure by the major lawsuit that's hanging over their head if they don't comply with which already was signed back in nineteen ninety four they're kinda you know it's kinda like um you know any administration is stuck with what was you know done by some other administration previous to that Um <clears throat> you know they, they the agreement was made in ninety four of course, Clinton is uh really big behind it because he was one of the ones that uh you know was in the process of creating it um His wife isn't uh doing a whole lot as Secretary of State because i mean it, it's just where it came from originally um but uh I think that uh what's gonna happen is is you know that's gonna be the biggest thing is the fact that Mexico is standing by with a, a you know a bucket full of lawsuits and if we don't go out of our way to make um, concessions to them to uh, uh, meet our uh, standards or lower our standards to meet it so they they can meet it with their numbers, um, then there's no way I feel that, honestly, at this point, unless, like you said earlier, they are already pre-established major American trucking companies that are just hauling out of there, but I think, with the pressure you know and i and I'm going to say it, and you know what I feel about it the a t a is going to pressure because that's the ones they represent to push this thing through because they represent the major companies and and I think it will I think it will happen, and I think it's going to be one of those situations that normally happens within our government that when it does happen, and all hell breaks loose. And all these you know trucks are having accidents, and all these criminals are coming across here and doing everything. Somebody else is going to have this handed to them three, four years down the road, and they're going to have to react instead of be proactive and And I think that's a bad thing, and I think uh uh you talk about a trickle- down effect. I think that's exactly what it's going to do. It's going to trickle down into uh um our our society, our drivers. Uh, are going to eventually be affected by it. <clears throat> and, and you know, um, there's just so many, you know, if you look, if you put it, you know, put it in a column of the, the good and the bad, right now, you know, I can see maybe one or two items in the good column, and the bad column, you know, is is full and runneth over and is on the second page. and But our government will not and we all know this, they will not hold steady to what they believe in, and LaHood is fighting a never-ending battle. You know, he's trying to do right, and I I give the federal government the kudos when they deserve it, and by him coming out with that and, and making that paper and setting those standards and saying, look, you know, okay, we'll abide by NAFTA, but you've got to do this. But raise under like everybody else in an agency or a secretary. Whatever Congress says is is going to happen and is going to be the, you know, the rules, then he has to abide by those rules as are handed to him. And I give him the greatest respect for at least making it so they have to meet our minimum standards. And whether or not that's going to be the final uh, say and that's the way it's going to be, you know, I don't totally think that it will, I think. There will be a lowering of standards, and I think that's going to be a very dangerous situation.
2: Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll be surprised. I mean, I mean, you've got the ATA all for it. You've got OIDA against it. Um, you know, in a, you know, a few years or so ago, I threw out the word monopoly. I mean, I, I go to that again. I mean, is, is there a monopoly being built here for the major carriers?
10: Absolutely, and and you know who represents the major carriers, and and uh, you know you know I like to, I like to use an analogy that when you have three trucks at three hundred dollars a year per truck to join ATA, it's nine hundred bucks. If you have sixteen thousand trucks, it's a hell of a lot more money, and it's a hell of a lot more money in their budget, and it gives all the top you know four or five people at ATA big salaries and uh, make sure that their lifestyles are what they are, and it gives them money to go to bat and go to battle and and, and fight for causes that, um, you know, guys that represent three, four, five, six trucks don't have that availability of that, that type of a lobby group, and – You know, so it's not going to be in the benefit of the American people. There's 750,000, quote-unquote, registered DOT companies in this country. You know, out of that, there's probably in reality about 600,000 truly on, you know, that are still active and on and running. And out of that group, we're talking the top 100, the top 100 of 600,000, and that does not balance to what the good of everybody is—that's the good of the few, based on dead presidents and not on reality—and that's why I think that uh, you know they are going to represent, and it, and it will be a monopoly. It's—they're it, trying to get that monopoly in this country right now. They want to be able to have um, you know a minority ownership of transportation in this country and it's against everything free enterprise stands
4: for.
2: Yeah, well, I totally agree. I mean, I, I I talked about it a few years or so ago. I think I might have been the first one to throw the monopoly word out there, but that's definitely what it looks like to me. Um, we're winding down here. I want to try to get one more caller in here, though, real quick, just before we wind down. Area code 678 from uh, out of Georgia. Go ahead. Uh, how
7: you doing, uh, Alan Adonna and everyone else? Hi. How you doing? Uh, I really appreciate it. I really enjoy listening to your to your last caller. Um, I wanted to make mention when
4: you
7: when you threw out the numbers. You said it's like 4.7 million American truckers, and you said it was approximately about 38,000 uh, from Mexico. I guess you can throw in the other uh, for the international drivers, I think Dollar mentioned the number around about 100,000. And it seems uh-huh. like they want everyone to focus the attention for on on, on the 100,000 drivers, but I feel like the real prize is going to be w- once you let those 100,000 drivers come in making those lower wages, those top tier companies like your last caller just mentioned, they're going to say, look guys, you know it's, it's effective, we're uh, <clears throat> we're making these profits, so they're going to justify. The true prize is. Is going to be deflate the wages of the 4.7 million drivers. So I feel like they're kind of getting you, getting us to look elsewhere. But the reality is, they're going to find a way to decrease our lifestyle. Because if you look at NAFTA, when NAFTA was engaged, it, it it hasn't really seemed to really up the standard of of, of, of American citizens of, of of any nationality. It seems like we have other other nationalities calling the shots in America now. So that's pretty much my my comment.
2: Yeah, well, you make a good point, and one we haven't even touched on. I think you're exactly right. I mean, if that does happen and it comes in, I mean, and I, I've seen it other places too. It'll, I mean, it, it's terrible to say, but it could could make the wages uh deflate, like you say, and go down. I mean, uh the wages aren't already that great anyway, so that that could put a big damper on things and and um I mean that's a good point you bring out and i I think a lot of drivers share that same thing with you that um you know the wages will be deflated if you know if this is allowed to happen so that's i mean donald that's a good point
3: excellent point um you know it's here here on our last show, we were talking about how if you have a great p s p report, you're going to be in demand and all like that, and you you can demand higher wages. And now we have a show saying that you know what? If if the the cry of driver shortage is loud enough, and enough nationals are brought in, um, when you when you get offered you know twenty five cents a mile, uh, you might turn around and and be saying, oh, that's not too bad. When forty cents a mile was sneered at maybe you know a few years ago, so. Yeah, it's bringing, it could bring the standards down, and, um, you know, it makes you just wonder about that whole concept of drivers are in control with that really good PSP. I, I kind of wondered about that
2: anyway, but, you know, I'm really starting to wonder about it now. Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate the call. That was a good call. I mean, uh, allowing this to happen will deflate wages even lower. So, yeah, good call and a uh, very good point and well taken. Uh, okay, we're winding down here. I appreciate all the callers, everybody in the chat room, listeners online. Uh, appreciate you joining us. Uh, next week we're going to have a little bit of a, a lighter show for you. Next uh, next Thursday, February 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Lucinda Coulter will be our special guest, and we're going to celebrate 50 years of Overdrive Magazine. And that's that's a long time, Donna, 50 years. Overdrive has been around reporting on trucking news Uh uh, what was I? Two years old when they started. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's going to be a fun one. We're going to t- a lot
3: of nostalgia. We'll have next week. uh... We'll start posting, you know, on Facebook and in our newsletter some things to be thinking about that we're going to be bringing on the show. So you, we really want a lot of interaction on that show because. Uh, I think we you know we we do need a little a little lightening up here with some nostalgia and memories and uh I think it's going to be a great show. I've talked to Lucinda a few times and we're both really excited uh about this show.
2: Yeah, it's going to be good. That's next Thursday, February 17th, two, uh, 2011, obviously 7 p.m. Eastern time. Lucinda Culture, we're going to take you down 50 years of trucking with Overdrive Magazine, celebrating 50 years with that magazine. A long, long time. We're going to have fun. So we'll look forward to you then. And uh, that'll wrap it up here for this evening of Truth About Trucking Live. Donna, thanks for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. I just want to give the website one more time. Real quick.
3: www.truckingsocialmedia.com. Check it out.
2: Yeah, we've got it out there. Uh, it's up to drivers in the industry. Uh, we're looking forward to it. But, uh we're looking at you to make it happen. So we're, we'll, we're have it up there, trucking media dot com. First annual truck driver social media convention, never been one like it. So it's there for you. So from, uh, from the Truckers Tracks Volume Three Ice Road Trucker CD, here's Jan McCarter with Dragon My Wagon. You can check out all of Jan's tunes over at the Keystruckers dot com. So for truth about trucking live, I'm Alan Smith along with Donna. Until next time, drive safe, and thanks for listening. the keys scheduled to perform at the first annual truck driver social media convention, October 15th uh, in Tunica Mississippi check it out TruckingSocialMedia.com. social love to have it happen hope you can join us so don't forget next Thursday February 17th 7 p.m. Lucinda Coulter our special guest celebrating 50 years with overdrive magazine thanks again everybody appreciate it we'll catch you next time be safe